Hello there, my name is Dr Christopher Pryor and I'm a lecturer in British and Imperial History at University College Dublin. I'm going to be looking at the nature of British society after the Second World War. I'm going to be talking about post-colonial Britain and the impact of the end of the British Empire upon British society. Along the way, I'm going to be discussing a few key academics who have written about this topic to provide a bit of an overview of some really important perspectives on matters like race, immigration and British identity. I'm going to be focusing on England, although there are certain aspects of this that also apply elsewhere in the United Kingdom. There are different historical models surrounding Britain and the Empire. Firstly, we have Bernard Porter. Bernard Porter makes the argument that the British never really felt post-colonial because they weren't ever really an imperial society in the first place. He makes the argument that empire was only ever really a concern of elites, such as politicians and bankers. The empire didn't require the commitment of masses in order for it to function. And however much it might have impacted upon their lives, they weren't necessarily aware of it. Now, I think this is problematic. There are lots of popular works about the empire that emerge in Britain after the Second World War. So you have details of colonial wars in Malaya, Cyprus, Kenya and so on, covered in a lot of detail, for instance, in the Daily Express and the Daily Mail. Then you have the prominence of certain big international events, such as the Suez Crisis in 1956 and the Nyasaland Emergency in 1959. Then you've got fiction with a great deal of imperial content, for instance, Agatha Christie, you have empire-related films, even James Bond. The uh, short story Quantum of Solace, for instance, is actually about a colonial official out in Africa. So whilst we don't have time in today's session to prove that everyone was imperialist, I think it's reasonable enough to say for the moment that you would have had to have walked around with your eyes closed to have not read about or watch details concerning the empire after the Second World War. The second model is that provided by John Darwin. John Darwin has made the argument that the Commonwealth masked a sense of decline. It shielded the British from a sense of imperial loss because politicians were able to very successfully suggest that Commonwealth was business as usual. It was merely empire by another name. It's certainly the case that in the 1950s, British politicians had high hopes for the Commonwealth, but its importance as a means of perpetuating British influence globally was put to the test by the independent African nations in particular, lots of new territories joining the Commonwealth. Britain began to feel as though the organisation was being swamped by those who were not necessarily supportive of British policies, British plans for the future. Also, South Africa was expelled from the Commonwealth in the early 1960s. Britain felt as though it had been unable to do anything to put pressure on South Africa in order to change its ways, to abandon apartheid, which made the Commonwealth look a bit toothless. Therefore, this whole series of events over the course of the late 50s, early 60s, really tested a British faith in their ability to exert influence through this institution. It quickly became apparent that it was to Europe and America that Britain needed to turn to maintain influence, however reluctantly. Now this would all seem to support the arguments of John Mackenzie, and John Mackenzie's argued that there were what he calls three implosions of empire after the Second World War. The first, 1947 to 1948, you have India, you have Pakistan, you have Ceylon all becoming independent, for instance, and you have Ireland leaving the Commonwealth. The second implosion of empire, 1956 to 57, 
You've got the Suez Crisis, you've got Sudan becoming independent, you've got the Gold Coast becoming independent as Ghana. And then in 1959-64 to 64, you have the third implosion. There's a huge mass of places become independent. Nigeria, Uganda, Kenya and so on. And this third one, this third implosion, is when Mackenzie really thinks that the British effectively realised that their time as an imperial power was fully up. Now the amount of pessimistic material published in the 60s about Britain's place in the world suggests this was a real time of intense soul-searching. What impact did this detachment from empire have upon Britain? Well, as the different parts of the empire started to attain independence, one of the most visible legacies of the empire in Britain was immigration, the rise in the number of people who'd previously lived in one or other of the colonies who now came to live in Britain. A scholar by the name of Sonny Rose has made the argument that it was really in the Second World War that, for the first time, a key contradiction to do with British attitudes towards race was brought out into the open. On the one hand, the British always maintained that there was no colour bar in Britain, unlike there was in South Africa. In other words, there was no racial discrimination enshrined in law that prevented an African, say, or an Indian from getting any vacant job, provided they were qualified for that job. So British governments paraded this idea as proof of their liberal imperialist credentials. On the other hand, of course, Britain remained a largely racist country that believed the British were superior to other so-called races. An increased interaction with people of different ethnicities, coupled with an ignorance of other cultures, contributed to an increasingly overt everyday racism. And combining these two, the British took the attitude that basically it was okay to treat people from the colonies with liberal laws so long as they weren't over here, so to speak. There was a clear sense that a white and Anglo-Saxon community should be maintained in Britain after the war had ended, that once the extraordinary circumstances the war had finished, Britain could revert to some form of white racial status quo. Now, of course, after the Second World War, this didn't happen. Traditionally, a change in the composition of British society is seen as really starting with the arrival of the boat the Empire Windrush, which landed at Tilbury in June 1948, containing nearly 500 Jamaicans. The most infamous example of a racist response to this immigration came on the 20th of April 1968, when the Tory MP Enoch Powell made his famous Rivers of Blood speech in which he portrayed a Britain slowly dying, swamped by immigrants who were changing Britain. After he'd said that, people took to the streets with placards saying things like Don't knock Enoch, and Back Britain, not Black Britain. A Gallup poll suggested that 74% believed the basics of Enoch Powell's speech were correct. Simmering racial tension didn't fully subside over the course of the 1970s, Black youths in Britain continued to resent the police, seeing them as institutionally racist. And this tension led to riots across Britain, for instance in Brixton and in Toxteth in Liverpool in 1981. Now, how does all of this, immigration, racism and the end of empire, have an impact upon the Britain of today? Even if Britons now no longer think of themselves as living at the centre of an empire, this decolonisation has led to a great deal of uncertainty in Britain as to Britain's role in the world. 
Britain hasn't quite gotten over the fact that it's a very different place from the country that used to be the most powerful nation in the world by a long stretch. Some, such as the prominent sociologist Paul Gilroy, have argued that resentment about national decline fuels frustration and hostility, for example, that it fuels anti-immigrant sentiment. And yet, there is so much in the varied cultures of British society that can be enjoyed. If Britons can, as Gilroy suggests, be more flexible about what it means to be British, and revel in the ensuing hybridity and fusions that an exposure to so many different peoples of the world can facilitate, Britons retain the capability to dismantle ideas about race forever and live in a harmonious society.